Hi everyone, it's Joyce. I just wanted to say that I hope you're keeping safe, healthy, and hanging in there. Sending love your way and my thoughts are with you. To help spread the word of positive inner beauty, I invite you to please subscribe, rate, and leave a review on Hello Beauty. This makes it easier for people to find the podcast. Thanks and enjoy this episode. We just need to continue to speak out about it and really watch out for each other. You know, with the social media and because we're in a pandemic and we are socially distanced, everything is on social media. You know, if you feel so helpless and you feel like I physically don't know what I can do, share posts. You know, it does help. And because you have more eyeballs on it, even if you don't have a lot of followers, you just get more eyeballs on a post or anything you say. You know, it's one person does one sentence from one person can affect one other person. That's all we need. And maybe that one person can affect another person. Hello, beauty. Yes, you. Join me, host Joyce Platon, as I chat with today's beauty, wellness, and lifestyle visionaries. Let's discover their motivating journey together as I merge my love for the art and my passion in revealing one's true inner beauty. Hey there, Joyce Platon here, and welcome to Hello, Beauty. Today's special guest is Isabel Du. Isabel is a bilingual SAG actual actress. She was former Miss Vietnam USA 2017, was part of CBS Amazing Race season 25, modeled for sci-fi space op season 9 to 13, modeled for Lifetime's American Beauty star season 1 to 2, and also has been a part of numerous commercials and print ads. Welcome to Hello Beauty, Isabel. Thanks for having me again, Joy. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited because actually this topic is pretty important to me. And also just a bit of background for the listeners. You were actually a guest on Hello Beauty when I was first starting out. And I really appreciate the, that support that you gave me. And you talked about being a model and staying relevant as a model and actress in the industry. And if you know, our listeners and viewers want to check it out, it's definitely there um, that they can look at at Hello Beauty's episode. So yeah, um, but for this, I mean, for those that don't know you yet, which I doubt, talk to me <laughs> about yourself and what is your background? <laughs> oh, thank you. So uh, my name is Isabel Du. Thanks for listening in again, you guys. I'm a I'm an actress, model, and host out here based in Los Angeles, California. Although we will be relocating in a little bit, that's just to kind of take advantage of the fact that we can be in different places. So me and my husband actually are looking to Atlanta next. Um, and yeah, and then I'm a former Miss Vietnam USA. I just like you, Joyce, like I'm someone who really cares about, you know, just different social justice issues concerning Asian as well as Asian American communities. And I'm glad we're having this dialogue. The reason why I wanted to have this episode with you was because you actually came forward on your social media. And particularly, I saw this on your Facebook page that you contracted COVID-19. Talk to me about this experience, because to be quite honest, I do hear about people getting it but I haven't heard from anyone close to me, you know, not family members or even friends um, that have gotten it, you know, yet knock on wood, but you did. And I was surprised because you're quiet about terrified it. Terrified at first. I was terrified. At, well, th this is the thing. You are not the first person to even say that. I had so many people literally call me, text me, DM me saying, oh my gosh, I hear about it on the news. 
that I didn't know anybody personally who actually had COVID. You're the first person that I know who has it. And I would tell them, I bet you that's not true. I bet you, if anything, you know more people that did contract COVID-19, but they were too, I don't know, maybe too hesitant to share that outwardly because there is a stigma attached to it. There's a lot of shame attached to it where people almost fault you for having, for, for probably contracting in the first place. They were like, well, what did you do? Where did you go? Do you, the first question everyone asks is, where did you get it from? Do you know where you got it from? It's the first question. It's not even, are you okay? It's, <laughs> it's uh, where'd you get it from? And which I think people should be a little bit more mindful and have more empathy for others. Luckily, I was, if I had to say on a scale of one to 10, it was like a three out of 10 cold. So I had it very light, but I was so scared of saying anything because I was terrified of the judgment from others. Because I know prior to that, I was judging people. I will have to admit that I was judging people. If I saw like, if people caught COVID, I thought, oh, well, do they go to Disney World? Like, do they go somewhere where there's a large gathering or they're just, they're out and about. That's why they got it. And so when I had it, I'm like, oh, shoot. Okay. Well, what did I do to get it? Mm -hmm. And it puts into perspective that that's how contagious and how viral COVID-19 is is that you can get it no matter how careful you are. And I'm super careful. Like I have a mask, I have my face shield. I was very mindful of like where I went. Now I was working on set. So I'm, if, if I had to say, where did I catch it from? Maybe that's where it was. We'll never know mm -hmm. for sure. And you uh, said you were even double masking and all mm -hmm. that jazz, right? Oh, and yeah. And and the type to always wash your hands, you know, follow all these preventative measures and you still caught it. But then your husband didn't even, and you live with him, of course, right? Yeah. And there's just like, that's a thing. So I isolated for 18 days and the entire time. Oh, here's another thing. I would test mm -hmm. between three to eight times a week, by the way. That's crazy. Uh-huh. Three to eight times a week prior to me catching COVID. That's how at the time I felt so safe. That gave me uh -huh. another layer of safety where I, it was like a false sense of security that I was constantly testing all the time. I was always testing negative. And, and so, the COVID test is not a pass. You know how, like, I think we've been hearing this, like, okay, I, I tested negative. COVID, a COVID test is not a pass for you to be able to do things or go out, you know? Yeah. And I guess partake in large gatherings or whatever. Yeah. And to give very specific dates, I tested on November 3rd, 4th, and 6th, negative PCR. And then I book a 10-day job on set in San Diego. So I drive up to the hotel that they provided on Sunday, the 8th, okay? Then morning of the 9th, so this is now three days after my last negative test, I go on set, they do a rapid test for me, I test positive. And I was, what? I was shocked. I didn't really have any symptoms. I did kind of a little like, mm -hmm. like maybe a little scratch in my throat, but it wasn't a sore throat. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, it's, I don't know. And um, they took me aside. They're like, yeah, we have to send you home now. And the wardrobe, they're like, you keep the clothes. <laughs> <laughs> you take her home. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it, I called Dennis right away. 
And so he's, he tests right away. And during my 18 days of isolation, he tested negative three times. So I was positive, but mind you, we also had a system. So we're in a one bedroom apartment in LA and I'm isolating in the bedroom. Like I can't leave it except for maybe the bathroom. And he leaves a table in front of the bedroom. So he gives me food and he had to sleep on the couch, like in the living room the whole time. That intense, huh? Like you really got, you guys really like took it seriously. Oh yeah. Very seriously. Because he he still sees his parents, not like oh, yeah. they're still socially distanced, of course, but they're yes. older. So, and also, um, he has psoriasis, which is an autoimmune, yes. you know, disease. So he, yeah. he had to be very mindful of, of his health as well. And thank goodness it just was only with me. Um, but by the way, it's a whole ordeal. Like the health department calls you. I don't think people understand. Like it's a whole <laughs> thing. Like everybody was calling me. The production was calling me. The production's uh-huh. nurse was calling me. LA health department was calling me. Um, if you do a whole survey with them, it was like a 30 minute survey. Uh, you get a, I think it was a $20 gift card. It was $20. Mm. No, it was a 30, 20 or $30 gift card that they send you by email. Yeah. Um, and there it's not, people have misconceptions of what contact tracing is. So I think in people's mind, when they say contact tracing, they think, oh, it's to figure out where you caught it from. No, that's not what it really, it's, it's only part of the story. Contact tracing also means they want to figure out where you've been to know where you could have potentially spread it to people, not where you caught it from. And I think it's, it's a shift in mindset of like where people think about themselves, but they don't think about other people. Right. Mm-hmm. Which we'll, um, we'll talk about more and I want to unpack this and also the stigma related to it and how we can address this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But go on. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, the stigma, the stigma is real. And it's not just with COVID, it's with any illness, really, when you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. If you're in different HIV status, if you have a mental illness, like let's say you have a bipolar disorder, any sort of illness, there is a stigma attached to it because people don't understand it and they mm-hmm. judge real quick. Exactly. Fear of the unknown. And they're always looking to blame it on something else that they, they're trying to make sense out of something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, so I'll share with you a story where mm-hmm. I was at recently and it was for a hand modeling job. And, um, you know, we had to do a rapid test. So everybody tested negative. And one of the models was like, well, since we're all negative, can't we just like be without our masks? And I was like, the thing is, you could be negative at like 9 a.m., but what if at 4 p.m., because you've been incubating this virus, it takes about yeah. like, it could be three mm-hmm. to 10 days, three to 14 days to incubate this virus. Like at 4 p.m., you all said in turn positive. Like we don't know. Exactly. And, um, I was sharing a story about, you know, unfortunately, someone I know um he was he had passed recently and he was in the um he had covid right after me and he was hospitalized and then they had to put him in induced coma the reason why people go into induced coma is to put them on the ventilator so he was in the coma for three weeks and the thing is he was posting updates on his facebook prior to this like all the time he was posting updates about like you know how he's doing he has to sleep on his like chest he couldn't like so he can breathe better and um everyone was cheering him on everyone was like 
you know, you're going to make it through. You're strong. You got this. Like, we're going to hang out after this. Like, you're going to be great. Like, you're going to be fine. Like, giving him motivation and encouragement, right? And then all of a sudden, like, it just stopped, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, and so that freaked everybody out. Like, even I was like, oh my gosh, even though these, the updates that he was sharing was, was sad that like, okay, he's battling COVID, but there's something reassuring to see a daily update, right? Mm -hmm. To know that they're still around. Yeah. And when those updates stopped, when the stories stopped, when his posts stopped, that's when everybody's like, oh my gosh, is he okay? Come to find out that's when he was in a coma. And uh, unfortunately he didn't make it. So, you know, like he, my heart went out to the family. Like it just freaking sank. Like it's, even right now, when I think about, because this is someone you know, like someone you've been around and someone you've talked to, it's just like I feel so bad for his sister and for his entire family. And um, when I kind of shared this tidbit <laughs> right away, somebody said, Well, where did you get it from? Yeah. And I had to ask, I was like, Can I ask you this? I was like, Why do you ask that? And they said, Well, I ask it because I want to know, like, I want to know, like, Oh, no, no. The first thing they asked was, they asked, uh, did they have some sort, did he have some sort of pre-existing condition? That was the question. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, why do you ask that? And they're like, well, I just want to know if I'm okay. I'm like, do you hear how that sounds though? When you ask that and she's like, well, I don't know. I want to know, like, because that gives a reason why they didn't make it, right? And I'm like, but that lacks a lot of empathy. Who cares if they had it or not, right? That's not your really concern in a sense. Because who's to say that you don't have a pre-existing condition that you aren't aware of yet? And also, like, your reassurance had to come at the expense of someone else's death and someone else's pre-existing condition. Like, that sounds so, and she's like, you're right. That is insensitive. I was like, just be careful of how you ask What's the first thing you ask when you hear about somebody who's passed from COVID, when someone actually has COVID? Don't let your first question be, where do they get it from? And do they have a pre-existing condition? Mm -hmm. It's just, and before when I used to share about like what the person may have potentially had, they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's like, uh, well, associating it for some reason, like trying to um, pinpoint for example using their lifestyle as an excuse oh that's the reason why they got this because yeah. just for example oh they were unhealthy they weren't taking care of themselves and you just never know like what you mentioned some people don't even show like they could have the virus without showing any symptoms and huh? they are highly contagious so i really feel like we just have to treat you know and just to be safe like in a sense everyone has it and no one is safe from it so we just have to take preventive measures and know our facts and and most importantly we shouldn't dehumanize people yes yeah have, and and obviously you know i i say it with with love i know those people yeah of course with malicious intent i know that yeah I know they meant it's not out of core intentions that they say it like that. I understand that it is a very scary thing and you do want to know like, am I just as vulnerable? Right. But mm -hmm. we are, we need to start thinking we are all vulnerable no matter what, whether it's COVID or not, because we see exactly. healthy people all of a sudden overnight, they had an aneurysm for whatever reason. Exactly. They, you know, they could have been working out every day. They could have been like, mm -hmm. and then still 
and then you have smokers who live, live the rest of their life. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. People that take care of themselves, there's stories that they, yeah, they develop cancer or out of nowhere get into accidents. Like we just never know. And the important thing is to have this discussion. And it, I really appreciate that you know, you're like shedding light into this. You mentioned also from a scale to one, one to 10, your experience which is three-ish. Yeah. And I, I will say, I did suspect that I may have, and I'll never know for sure. Mm -hmm. I do, I did suspect that I had COVID last February, so February of 2020, mm -hmm. while I was in Chicago because, and I was working, um, and I, all of a sudden, it just, like, the color fell out of my face, and my friend was like, are you okay? I was like, I don't feel so good, and I couldn't eat, I couldn't taste anything, I couldn't smell anything, I, every time I got up, I would faint. Um, oh I was throwing up all the time. I had like a bloody nose even like I was oh not feeling good and I couldn't talk and I had to choose between either taking a breath or like swallowing my food maybe. Or oh my goodness. I couldn't breathe and do things simultaneously. It was like, what is going on? And I was freaking out. Like I even had like at that time, people kind of knew about coronavirus, but not really. Not really. I know a lot of people at our workplace that, like right now, they're saying because of all the information that they know now, they're like, oh my gosh, I think I had coronavirus in February. And it was around this time and everyone was traveling, busy, but all of a sudden they were just sick for like two weeks. But like, okay, I'm fine now. They just, they weren't sure because it wasn't, it didn't really blow up yet in the news. Mm -hmm. There wasn't mm -hmm. a lot of awareness at all. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I had COVID in November, I asked, I did a virtual appointment with my doctor. I did two of them. And I asked her, I was like, Hey, do you remember how I went to your office the day I came back from Chicago? Cause I was so sick. And the, at that time she said, Oh, you have bronchitis. That's mm. what, she, I mean, there was no COVID test back then. Exactly. And so I was like, Oh, do you think it was actually COVID that I had? She's like, and my doctor said, it could have been, we will never know. She's like, it, we didn't have anything to know. And it's not like I did an antibody test back then. So exactly. would it know? But I know for a fact now that I did have it back in November. And we have to assume, I know that things are picking back up. And I know that there's a lot of fatigue around COVID. People are tired of um, talking about it. Mm -hmm. I get it. But yeah, we yeah. still need to assume that everyone has it. Let's exactly. Just, and, and then we'll be a lot safer. Yeah, and I think that they also have the misconception of, you know, now that I've had COVID, I'm immune to it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I can never, you know, get anyone sick or I'm just like, yeah, I, I'm all good now. I'm protected. <laughs> yes, yes. There is that mentality for sure. I'm, and it's funny because people, so when I had shared that I had COVID, oh man, it's like I opened the floodgates. Like, everyone was telling me, oh, I actually had it and I didn't tell anybody. Oh, oh I had oh. so many stories like that. So many people confided in me that they had it and they were too scared to tell people. Um, they, were, they were scared of what work would say, you know? Because there was a lot that people didn't understand. And when I started booking work, okay, this is the thing, I was getting false positives. And my doctor mm -hmm. said, you can expect to get false positives after you recovered from COVID for the next three months. So she gave me a doctor's note that, says Isabel has recovered on this date I think it was like November mm -hmm. uh, 16th or something like that and she said that she may she uh she shouldn't do any like COVID test because she may there's a chance she'll test positive and I did still continue to test positive up until 
like the beginning of December. Mm. And then, um, and when I booked jobs again, and they asked for a negative test result to basically get ahead of the curve, I would freak out a little bit and I'd be like, Hey, just, so you know, here's all my documentation. Like, here's my doctor's note. Here's my uh, donation to the Red Cross that says that I have antibodies. So if I do get a positive test result. I don't want to freak anybody out. I just want you guys to be aware that this is why it happens. And the reason why people get false positives is because after you recover from, from COVID, you still have dead rem, like residue virus material in your upper respiratory area. So when you do a, a very in-depth test, like a PCR test, it's so sensitive to detecting virus material. So it'll detect dead virus. So even though the virus cannot be contagious anymore, it can't mm. infect anybody anymore, the test will still detect that. And so that's why you may get like false positives after you recover. And of course, please consult your doctors. I just want to say that on here. Exactly. Of course. Uh, yeah. We're just recounting your experience and what you went through and your, you know, advice from your doctor. But obviously if people who are listening and watching this, if they feel anything or they feel sick, contact your health provider, or if it's an emergency, of course, call 911, right? Yes, yes, mm -hmm. exactly, exactly. Yeah, and then I decided, you know what, like, I want to turn everything around because I felt a lot of shame with it. And I was like, you know what, let me donate convalescent plasma. And so with the convalescent plasma, um, the location I went to was in Torrance and the machine that they had me on, it, it was the only one available. So I had, I was donating, um, my plasma and my platelets. So it was like a two hour mm. thing. I've never donated blood by the way. It's like a whole thing. <laughs> uh -huh. I, I did when I was in college. <laughs> awesome. That's yes, great. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, right. yeah. And I, I do want to continue it actually. Yeah. Yes. And also, by the way, a lot of people are needing donations because of Texas. They're actually redirecting some of the blood donations to Texas at this time. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is very helpful. It can definitely save lives. You can do it. If you have the ability to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and, and they'll do like a free antibody test. So if you suspect that you had it, you can, they'll let you know maybe a couple of days after your donation, uh, if you test positive for antibodies and they, actually even sent to me which hospital it went to specifically so okay. my antibodies went to PIH hospital in Downey so that's, that's pretty pretty cool yeah yeah no especially like these like type of things and um ways to help and reach out is very helpful and then I know that really the number one with the rise massive increase in anti Asian mm -hmm. communities lately I feel this is such a great topic to talk about and I really want to talk about solutions because I know like we are experiencing so many things and we can always do our part in discussing raising awareness but what do you think are other concrete solutions and recommendations you have to improve and address the stigma around COVID-19 and those that are involved I mean there has always been Asian racist rhetoric with Asia. They mm -hmm. have always been there. I just think nowadays we're more outspoken about it. We're a lot more, uh, we're more ready to like speak out. We're not as shy anymore. Oh, I don't even use the word shy because I don't want to perpetuate any stereotypes that have okay. already been associated with our community, right? Mm -hmm. But we've, we've really found our voice and we realize, oh, people are listening. And I think when it comes to, uh, 
just the racism that's that's the association between the virus and our community is we need to we need to break it down we need to just demystify this whole thing and we need exactly. to remind them that it's not just an asian virus it's <laughs> this exactly is, the verbiage is awful because it's being spread through everybody you know so it yeah. doesn't have an ethnicity it's so odd to even say mm -hmm. that and uh i mean i don't we just need to continue to speak out about it and really watch out for each other you know with the social media and because we're in a pandemic and we are socially distanced everything is on social media you know if you feel so helpless and you feel like i physically don't know what i can do share posts you know it does help and because you have more eyeballs on it even if you don't have a lot of followers you just get more eyeballs on a post or anything you say you know it's one person does one sentence from one person can affect one other person that's all we need and maybe that one person can affect another person but also uh i don't know if you saw how like there's some pretty cool programs happening like in oakland specifically where um there has been such a huge uptick of violence against asian elders there's like a like a chaperone program for volunteers oh, yeah. you know and that's elders bad. can apply to it and you know fellow volunteers can chaperone and, and just make sure like our elders are, are getting to where they need to because they have been a huge target and this isn't even by the way it's not even through the pandemic even prior to the pandemic they were mm -hmm. already targeted, and they exactly just, they just let's be the voice for people that haven't spoken up that don't know how to speak up mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, we can't we can't rely on victims to speak up we cannot rely on that because they're gonna be too scared and too intimidated you know, yeah, and they're shaken up, and I feel like it is our part, especially those that have platforms, no matter how big or small. It's I feel like it's just hard. You feel like just that natural sense of urgency to help and speak up and just provide solutions because I feel like it's just hard to just sit back and watch and let this happen and not do anything, right? And I love what you talked about earlier, correcting negative language and narratives towards COVID-19 or Asian discriminations. We all hope that people are coming from a place of love or positivity, but they sometimes, they just don't know how to say things out of lack of knowledge or lack of information. So I really appreciate that thought and like, yes, one of the great solutions is to really start correcting the negative narrative around this and also the language and definitely spread more of correct information than just blindly sharing I don't know like bait. Bait also creates fear and that will reinforce the mm -hmm. stigma around COVID-19. Yes it is what continues perpetuated for sure and I get it those that's what sells the story mm -hmm. but um let's just be mindful of what we put out there. And, you know, and even for me, every day I'm still learning, growing. I'm sure like there are some that I say today that I might in the future be like, oh shoot, I should have rearranged yeah, the way yeah. that right. um, all the time. That's just, yeah, like, we're learning. As long as we're acknowledging and learning and having this discussion, I think that's a good way to start. Yeah. And also mm -hmm. taking accountability. And I think sure. people associate taking accountability with have you seen this like like okay you watch real housewives no 
I actually don't have TV, so I only have streaming services. Yeah. I mean, I live by myself, so I feel like I don't really need entire TV service (laughs) or cable. More than enough, honestly. Uh, (laughs) I love TV so freaking much. It's my industry, so like- Whenever I I go to people's places, like friends, like for example, if I go to your place and you have TV on, I'm going to be like a fly attracted to light (laughs) because I'm like, oh, this is amazing. I love commercials. And they're just like simple commercials. Yeah, I I really get a kick out of it. (laughs) Love it. it. No, but it's good because sometimes, honestly, not having it is good for your mind, but I, I just love- TV. I love it so much. But I, I watch a lot of shows though. So it's probably yeah. the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I want to bring about Real Housewives of like Dallas. And this is the first time they've had an Asian housewife mm-hmm. on the franchise at all. And they will oh, have really? another one on Housewives of Beverly Hills. So the franchise has been around since 2000. Gosh, I want to say five or six. Uh-huh. It's been a long time. And only now are they starting to like have Asian representation on these shows. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting because one of the housewives, Brandy, she had a very racist Instagram story, I think, where she was like laughing and she was doing the whole like eye corner, like the squinty eye thing. Tugging her eyelids or temple. Yeah. And then also putting on a horrible, stereotypical Chinese accent, I guess. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It was just, it was bad. It was really really bad. And she got called out for it. She got called out for it, as she should. So the season, what was very interesting, they addressed that video. And they, mm-hmm. but then not only that, they have their first Asian cast member, Dr. Tiffany Moon, who is so badass and a great addition to the cast. Usually new housewives, you're kind of iffy. You need the second season to be like, oh, yeah, I like her or no. <laughs> but Tiffany, right out the gate, amazing. Her story is incredible. She addresses it. And she actually takes Brandy to the side rather than addressing it in front of the group, which I like. Um, mm-hmm. so she took her aside and she explained to her why I gotta, I gotta call you on it. I gotta explain to you why, why that hurts and that hurts us in our community. And she talks about how Tiffany came, her, her parents immigrated to the U S when she was three and didn't take her. So she was staying with her grandparents. So oh. she, from like, I don't know, I can't remember how old she was like, no. Yeah. So when, when she was three to six, she, she didn't see her parents. And it wasn't until she was six years old that she immigrated to the U.S., didn't speak a lick of English. Mm-hmm. And the kids would make fun of her. You know, the kids yeah. made fun of her, like, you know, her English, you know, her eyes, things like that. And so she was just saying, like, that's, that's why it's so painful. Um, obviously, her English is, like, you know, it's, it's perfect. You would never know that, that it wasn't her native tongue. Mm-hmm. and um and brandy is just like crying and you know brandy had justified it like oh my gosh like i was suicidal like i can't believe how like i regret it like i had to go into therapy for it and the way tip and like she was just crying like yeah brandy, the one who made these racist remarks made the racist gestures and she was just saying like you know like I just didn't know and blah, blah, blah. And she was just explaining her way why she did it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then, but then she had to like use the sympathy card to be like, I was suicidal. Now, I don't want to take away from those who are going through something, um, who are suicidal. I don't want to take away from that at all. But it felt a little like misplaced in a sense that that should be independent of, of your apology mm-hmm. with accountability for 
a racist remark or some ignorant language that you use, please just say, I fucked up. Yeah, you don't need to justify and find mm -hmm. reasons why you did it. Just, just say, yeah, there was no excuse for that. I'm sorry, I acknowledge it. Yeah, then no more. <laughs> like, I think- No more, period. Like, don't say- simple. Like, you're just gonna dig your own grave even further. <laughs> exactly, don't say like, oh, my childhood was like this, and my, my dad was like this, and my mom was like that, and that's why I'm like this. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no one made you do anything, it was all you. And so Tiffany was like, uh, I don't know why she's crying. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the bully cries after they hit somebody. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> oh my um, God. But yeah, I understand like people are, what they're terrified is they're terrified of being canceled, cancel culture, right? But cancel culture doesn't exist. It's only, it's so temporary. Like how many times people try to get canceled and they just come back? I'm sorry. It's just yeah. I've seen a lot of this in the beauty industry or like beauty brands yeah. that are called out and we're still buying from them, you know, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, as a note for anybody taking accountability, please, like if, even for me, like, I know, like, if I've done something in the past, like, I was like, oh, shoot, I fucked up. There's no, yeah. no reason for it. There's no even, like, it was a different time. Like, no, I just, I didn't know better. And I'm That's really true. Sure, you know? And I think people should also know and be aware that even within our Asian community or even with our own community, yeah, if, within our own community, we experience racism against each other. It's oh, pretty yeah. interesting. And, and I think um we need to be aware of that and also just like keep learning really you know there's just so much to learn and people have been experiencing different childhood memories and accounts of different kinds of racism so i feel like just to disregard and negate a certain experience like it's not good because people's experiences are different it is it is have you um dealt with racist issues well, the thing is, like, um, when, when I was growing up, like, I thankfully wasn't really teased for, like, my looks or my features, but it was more about, oh, you're not really Asian because mm -hmm. you have, you know, like, more of, like, westernized fine hair. You talk a certain way, so you're not western, or you're, you're more of a Latina, not a Filipina, you mm -hmm. know, because your, I guess, features and also your body composition. Because they have this set idea in their mind that maybe Filipinos or Asians, you know, in general, look a certain way, but I probably, for them, fit a certain mold that is not Asian. And I'm just like, that to me is, in a sense, racism. Mm, yeah. Definitely within the community, and especially because you are Filipina and in the Philippines, you have such a wide, diverse range of what Filipino people look like actually, right? Mm -hmm. You have very, uh, I mean, you have those who a lot more ethnic, you know, more yeah. Chinese to mm -hmm. like all the way up to somebody who looks very white. Uh, exactly. Yeah. From there. Yeah. 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 No, it's interesting. I mean, also people here are like, um, with regards to, I guess, an another experience is, uh, that I've kind of, disregarded as racist but when I thought about it later I, I kind of like shrugged it off before but then I was like no this is kind of racist low-key racist if they talk about oh you don't talk like as if you're Asian you talk like you know with regards to that Real Housewives of Dallas mm -hmm. you have an American accent so it kind of they just like default to you're an American you're not Asian and they just completely 
they it gives them an excuse to say certain things to you because they kind of fail to see that you're also Asian for some reason, <laughs> right? Because you don't fit in their head. People, when they think of Asians, they already have a picture in their head of what mm -hmm. that looks like to yeah. them. If you don't fit it, then they're like, oh, I can't put you in a different box because this mm -hmm. is the box I've already set for you. Yeah, it's it's very frustrating. I mean, like, for me, I get the whole, like, people always think I'm Hapa. They always uh -huh. think that I look mixed. They never think I'm 100% Asian. And I'm so proud to be Vietnamese. And I do yeah. have, you know, a little bit of Chinese, but I, I am more Vietnamese. And yeah. so it hurts a lot, actually, exactly. because I am so proud of being Vietnamese American. And, um, you know, my first language was Vietnamese. I didn't speak English until I was six. And I had to go to ESL and the kids call me retarded. And I still remember that to this day. And so, now that, yeah, yeah. And now that I have this perfect American English, and I think we, we actually comp overcompensate sometimes. Like we take on the cadence of, we take on the cadence of who our peers are, right? Mm hmm Definitely. Because <laughs> I know sometimes people are like, oh, you sound like a Valley girl. And I think I pick up just the cadence around because as a kid, you just think, oh, this is how you sound to fit in. Like this is quote unquote the norm. Therefore, mm -hmm. I should try to sound like this. Yeah, I think it's just human nature to kind of assimilate naturally without them thinking. Because I feel, I remember I was living in the Philippines, but I was around a lot of Australian friends from just the time. And I ended up getting an Australian accent. <laughs> like, I'm in the Philippines, like, what's going on here? But it's just because I've been hanging out with them for so long, and they're like my close friends. So it's not because I was actively maybe thinking, like, I want to be Australian. I want their accent. Right. Not at all. It just happens naturally. And yeah. then obviously, um, you know, um, a lot of people when I lived in the Philippines noticed I had a different accent from the usual because I also went to um, an international school. So just like the background that you grew up with and the people that you're around with definitely affects like how you turn out to be. Just to add on to my uh, to what I said earlier about racism within ethnicities and communities, I actually did experience that in the more in the Philippines actually because, um, in general, you know they prefer lighter skin tone people because it just equates to um, the higher class and just because of this colonial mentality that a lot of us still you know, believe it or not, we still have, you know, um, lighter skin is better, plain and simple for them. But for me, I'm naturally like, I am not naturally lighter skin, I could be, you know, depending if I'm not tanning, but I, I'm definitely called like Morena, meaning like more, more of the medium tone to be like darker if I especially when I go to the beach. So I just remember there would be like, oh, you know, you're very pretty, but you could be prettier if you're lighter skinned. And um, and this was me growing up and hearing even from like my relatives. It's just I know they don't mean any harm, but it's just ingrained in them, you know. And they hated the fact that I played outdoor sports like soccer, rugby, because I would just be darker, you know. <laughs> so it's just definitely like it controlled my way of thinking that yes, there were maybe sometimes that oh, I wish I was lighter skinned because of that narrative that was taught to me you know um and and because everything that when when you see when you go to uh like grocery stores to buy lotion everything is 
Oh, a whitening lotion. <laughs> lotion. Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they have billboards like, you know, for like dermatologists yeah. or whatever, um, skincare brand well, showcasing a before and after how this darker skin tone person looks sad and depressed. And after they use this product, the afters like they're so happy and they get all the attention. <laughs> Stop, everyone. <laughs> exactly. Or just in, intense, like they have to go through intense. I don't know, whatever bleaching, which is unhealthy to just achieve that. But no, definitely like, I'm really glad that even still as a, like a young Filipina and also that I, I really thank having and going to an international school that exposed me to different cultures. And I was able to see different types of skin tones and nationalities and made me appreciate and see like, okay, there's, you know, there's so much beauty in the world that I don't understand why there should be one standard. Like, because like, I would admire so many of like my classmates and I was like, and those people that I would admire are sometimes not even the lighter skinned one, you know? (laughs) So yeah, it's just crazy. And I'm glad that we're just talking about this, you know, this situation and just really shedding light on all the stigmas that come with you know, not just the COVID-19, but again, just, just raising awareness in general. Exactly. And, you know, for you to mention just how within your own, like, Filipino Mm -hmm. community, how you have these, like, different standards, um, it kind of, I'm, I'm only starting to be aware of it. I, I'm not as familiar on the topic, but I'm only starting to hear more about it. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, it, it feels kind of like somewhat somewhat parallel to the colorism within the black community even because Mm. when when you look at the black community they also have so many different like spectrum of what it means to be black Mm -hmm. so many different shades of that um but I don't want to speak too much about it just because I'm not so familiar with it yeah you have your afro latinas right yes what it is yeah you got your dominicans you've Mm -hmm. got your you know, and then you've got your Black Americans, you've got your African Americans. There's just so many different shades. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, let's, instead of us nitpicking within ourselves, within our own community, like, let's be excited and embrace all the different kind of beauties for it because we don't need another reason and another excuse for, you know, um, people outside of our community to tear us on that. We don't, we don't, we don't need it. And I think with the Asian community, what makes it even more complex is that you just have so many ethnicities, you know, right now, I love that there is a bigger call for more Southeast Asian representation. I love that. Yeah. I love that so much because there are so many, like when we talk, say affirmative action, right? When people think of affirmative action, I mean, there's so many misconceptions about it, but they think, oh, you know, this person's getting the school just because they're, uh, you know, a minority. Um, there's so many Asians in an Ivy League. Like, let's not, let's just like, why are we even like letting them in? Yeah. Like, why are they still there? You know, there's just so many of them. But if you cut off affirmative action in a sense, then I think when they think of Asians, they think of like, more you know as in the, in the words of Ali Wong I'm gonna use her okay where she mm-hmm. says fancy Asians <laughs> like your Chinese Japanese Korean and then mm-hmm. you got jungle Asians like you and me girl like Vietnamese 
we're like the jungle Asian. So I, I love being a jungle Asian. I mean, I love, I love the, I love the jungle. I love the rainforest. Oh my goodness. Like, I'm all for it. So here for it. Because, you know, she's half fancy Asian and then she's yeah, half yeah. jungle Asian. She's Chinese Vietnamese. So I guess I have a little fancy Asian in me. Yeah. Um, but you know, when think, people think of Asians, they think of those communities versus you don't, you rarely hear about Laotians. You rarely hear about Cambodians. You rarely hear about all these other groups within Malaysians. Yeah. 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 Like those yeah. people are not being represented on screen. We're not seeing them. I mean, let's go around and ask people who's the most famous Mongolian, you know, and I bet you they're gonna be like, Yeah, uh, and they but they can probably maybe start to list maybe Chinese Americans maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, back in the day as a kid, they would list Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee and maybe least Lucy Liu. Lucy right? Liu, yeah, and that's kind of it. But, so we need mm -hmm. to um, represent even more. There's still a lot more work to do. So what have you learned? from your experience from getting COVID-19 and do you have any you know tips that would probably help those that are still confused by this and maybe what are the preventative measures that now you know that you didn't know before? I mean I think it's you can only take the precautions that you can mm -hmm. because it's 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 very contagious that's it and now there's variants to it right yeah Let's, it's not fear mongering. It's just what it is. There's going to be variants. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's just the life cycle of a virus. It doesn't, it doesn't know. That's just how it mutates. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's just assume everyone has COVID. You just never know. And there are people who seem perfectly fine, but they can still spread it. Um, and also don't be shy to call out people. So when I got back on set, I actually had a boldness now. I felt like, oh, you know what? I don't mind telling people I have COVID. Like after I wrote my post and it was very cathartic for me for having so many people to come to me and be like, I'm so glad you share your story. I'm so glad you, I feel like there's someone else who understands. Like I was like, oh shoot, like why aren't we talking about this more? Because it takes away the stigma and yeah. makes it scary in a sense, right? It's more relatable. Uh -huh. It felt more bold to tell people, hey, you're too close to me. Can you please step aside and I even did a shoot where it was makeup hair and wardrobe in a very small confined space and they're like oh you can change in here I was like I'm not stepping in there even though I had antibodies and I'm quote unquote protected I was like I can't step in there I need to be in there by myself or if you want I can change like outside behind this trailer behind yeah. and you know at first it felt like they were the way they they were like, oh, this is very diva-like. And I'm not even like that at all. It was just more like setting your boundaries. So if you have COVID and you've recovered, don't be afraid to set boundaries. Or don't even be afraid to set boundaries prior to COVID. Exactly. No, no right now, I'm, I'm the same. Like, I, it's, it's, a lot of people might think I'm, like, too much or being, like, a quote-unquote B-I-T-C-H. <laughs> it might just sound like I am, but I'm just being direct and honest. And I, I usually, I'm not rude about it. And mm -hmm. it's just because I, we are, I'm trying to protect both of us, you know, like, or maybe even you. I don't know if I have it. Like, it's really just what it is. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. So let's 
don't be shy and don't be afraid to mm -hmm. set boundaries with people. Because even outside of a COVID situation, we should be setting boundaries. I will say that that's kind of the one, like, default upside to it a little bit is that, like, I feel like before guys had no problem coming up to me or even like <laughs> touching me, you know, and I'm like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know. This is another podcast episode. Oh my God. Yeah. It's a whole nother issue when they feel very entitled to your body. They think it's like, Oh, you're there being warm and friendly, but now they're like, they know that they have to have a distance. And I kind of appreciate that a little, you know, like I yeah. appreciate that a lot that people have to give you your space now. Like they can't mm -hmm. just be right up in you. <laughs> No, I love that. <laughs> and especially when we're walking down the street, I feel like people, um, you know, naturally move away now. So I, I do appreciate that. Because sometimes when we're walking down somewhat of a busy street, some people are rude. They won't even dare to like just step aside or not even just for you, but give way to each other out of courtesy. But at least now, you know, people are quote unquote being respectful just because I guess, you know, that underlying protection for themselves and for each other. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just be aware of that <laughs> spatial awareness, everyone. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Oh my but gosh. If you actually have COVID during the time. I mean, I, I mean, I, there's nothing like, I just had to wait it out for myself. I, like, I take more vitamins now, maybe, but I mean, there's nothing else I feel like physically that you can really help. And I drink lots of water, but. We also have to understand that um, now that the vaccines are rolling out, and obviously everyone has different mindsets on that, I am for vaccines. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but Same. you know, let's you know, let's let's listen to science, everybody. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think um, you know other people that can contract the virus might also respond to it in a different way right so you know like some people probably you know like like for you it was only like uh three on the scale but mm -hmm. other people because we just know don't know for whatever reason they exp you know they could be hospitalized you know up to that you know worse extent or even possibly like lead to death like what your you saw your friend experience but yeah, no, that's why we should really, so really, this is a serious matter. And I know, you know, like what we mentioned, we are all fatigued by it. I admit I am, you know, I'm already, it's like, I, I had plans to go travel last year and see my family in the Philippines and I didn't. And I'm just like here by myself. So just like little things like that, of course. Right. And, and just, just not, I'm also tired of just having this underlying fear and anxiety when we go out, because you have to worry about so many things compared yeah. to before. We're just like, okay, let's, go to the store and just do what you have to do. But now it's like, okay, I have to keep all of this in mind. <laughs> it's, it's just that, you know, overwhelming anxiety that you always have to carry with yourself. Just, yeah. you know, simple things of just going to the store. So it, it can get tiring. And I, I do understand why people feel this way. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Isabel. Yeah, I mean, if for those people that probably still want to know more about this and maybe if you're welcome to chat with them and maybe answer more questions that they have about um you know experiencing COVID-19 uh, would you mind sharing your social channel yes uh you guys can find me on instagram at isabel.do so i-s-a-b-e-l-l-e dot 
DU. And um, that's pretty much the one that I'm really the most active on. But if you guys want to know more, please let me know. Um, I mean, like, you don't need to contact me, but you can also go to the American Red Cross and they're doing amazing work with those who are recovered. So if you are someone who was recovered from COVID, I do strongly encourage uh, you to go to the website. Uh, you can give them a call and like schedule uh, a time to donate and you will be helping for life with the antibodies in your convalescent plasma. It's, it's, people still need it. People are, and there are certain blood types that are a little bit more rare that they would love to have that from. So, you know, you could literally be a hero to somebody. No, I love that. And I, I really highly recommend that people should always like regularly check the CDC guidelines. And I, when I went on it, actually, I love how they even cover how to address the stigma associated with COVID-19 and resources and how you can help and improve the situation um, and even um, a link to mental health. And it, it's just so helpful. No, I love that they're doing that. Okay, I love that you updated us about that. I love that. I'm going to check it out because I think also too how you said like there's this COVID fatigue that everyone's tired. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I get the comment where people are like, oh, you know, there's so much that we don't know. I used to say that as well. And I realized that's not true. There's a lot that they know about it now. Mm -hmm. What has happened is we tuned out. You know what I mean? We, exactly. I'm like, oh my God, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> There has been new information all the time and like facts and research now. So, uh, you know, it, it's okay to take a break. Everyone should definitely take a break mm -hmm. for your, uh, you know, just for your mindset, for your mental health, but also, you know, know that there is a lot that is actually known and to continue to update when you can. Um, because the information is out there. So I love that you shared that. I'm gonna look that up. Joy, thanks for having me.